Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I want to talk about spending time on social media and specifically the harm that it brings to our lives personally, then also to our relationships. Now, I trust that this is not going to be news for you. I hope this is something that you have already given thought to. It's something that I probably think about on a daily basis. As I was telling my friend Titus yesterday at our church meeting, I spend uh, as much time studying the Bible as I do with technology, the internet, cyberspace, and social media because our ministry is all online. And so I have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And so it is ever present in my mind. He did, Titus did ask me, so what do you think about being on social media and doing it? And well, that led to a conversation that was very good, I trust, for him as it was for me. And so I decided what I would do is that I would put my, I would put, I'm just going to write out to you. I want to share with you what I shared with him because it was a good conversation that was provocative in all the right ways for us as we stir one another up to loving good deeds. And I trust that what I have here will be provocative to you in all the good ways so that we can continue to spur one another on to loving good deeds. And so this is episode 451. And I've titled it, Five Reasons to Curb or Get Off Social Media. And so I I trust that you will give this a listen and consider these things uh, because social media is detrimental to so many lives. And I, I would not be even be able to list all the reasons why. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you because those studies are out there, you can easily find 1,000 studies to support this claim. And it really doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. Uh, This is something that everybody intuitively knows, regardless of our uh, political standing or our religious affiliations. We are addicted to social media. And one of the primary reasons that we are addicted to it is because it feeds our deepest cravings. And that is really similar to any addictive behavior. You think about the alcoholic, you think about the crack addict, you think about any other addictive behavior. Why are they doing that? Because it feeds a deep longing in their lives. Now, ultimately, the only thing that is going to satisfy our deepest cravings is a relationship with Christ. Other than that, every other pursuit to satisfy what is wrong with us is going to be insatiable. And so the difference with social media and these other addictive behaviors is how we rationalize this addiction through our collective participation. It is though, yes, I know that drug addiction is really bad. Porn porn addiction is awful. Alcoholic addiction is bad too. And let me tell you how bad they are on social media where I spend all of my time. And so for the courageous soul, I just appeal to you that you consider these five reasons to either curb or to get off social media. 
Now, I do want to be upfront with you. I have a bittersweet relationship with social media. I use it unidirectionally. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it means that I don't talk to people on social media platforms. It is exceptional for me to have any kind of dialogue with anyone on social media. I talk to people that are in front of me, people that are in my real-world relationships to where I engage them in various contexts here in South Carolina. I rarely will talk to anyone on social media, and that's what I mean that uh, my social media use is unidirectional, and so I don't post anything about our family, and I'll share the reasons for that in just a moment. However, here's the bittersweet part. Though it is unidirectional and we don't talk about or post our family on social media, we do have more than 25 social media platforms, and I have them hopefully to teach people how to mature as Christians. And so this tension in my soul is, is real. I am using social media, and I'm staying away from social media all at the same time. And I want to walk that line. And so I'm very much aware of the dangers of it. And so we are very selective, and there's high self-control in how we use them because we understand the harm of them. And so maybe it's not for you to get off social media, but maybe you need to curb or maybe you need to pivot in how you use social media so that it's not harming your soul and harming your relationships. And so maybe the operative word here is, are you using social media redemptively? You see, it's not even remotely possible to get off social media or step outside of technology. Our lives are too embedded in technology, into the internet at this point. And so there is no getting out of it. I mean, you could go completely off the grid, I suppose, but that's not tenable for 99.999% of us. Our hospital records, our, our banking, there's so much that we interact with technology that it's not really possible to get away from it. But we can put up barriers. We can put up guardrails that we stay within. And I just mentioned two for me, or maybe three. One is unidirectional. I am only monologuing on social media. I don't dialogue. I don't talk to people on social media. And then the other is, is that we don't post our family doings on social media. We don't advertise or promote our or show our lives to the world at large. And so I trust that you will give this some serious thought and that it will stir up conversation in your real world relationships and maybe even some accountability for those of you who recognize that this may be an addiction for you. When I began this ministry in 2008, July the 3rd, I, I wrote a, a blog post not knowing where I was going or how it was all going to turn out. We make our plans. God orders our steps. But I felt compelled that I needed to communicate the practical message of Christ to people, and I was doing it within a counseling construct. And so in order to aid our counselees, I could meet with them on Tuesday and give them an article to read to help 
move them along in the counseling process. And so it gave me a couple of contact points with my counselees, which was essential because you really need that kind of continuity. And so I wanted to create regular beats in their lives. And one of the ways that I could do that was by writing a a blog post. And so one turned into another and then another and another. And then eventually I got out of counseling altogether in 2015. And we began or we continued on with this new phase that God was leading us in. And that was leadership development teaching Christians how to do discipleship, and we've been doing that fully since 2015. And so we've gone from a counseling ministry to a hybrid counseling leadership development to exclusively a leadership development ministry. But when I started in 08, I did not foresee the soul corruption, yours and mine, of social media. I had no clue about uh, people surveil, surveilling you, the, the surveillance of, of uh, influential organizations. I had no idea about that. I didn't know what an algorithm was. I had no clue that I was creating an algorithmic version of myself on the Internet so that when you are uh, surfing the web, all of a sudden there's, there's something that pops up advertising, and and you were just looking at that yesterday, and it's like, wow, God is sending me a message. No, he's not. Big Brother is, because you have a footprint. You have an algorithmic version of yourself on the internet that follows you around like a, a shadow, and every time that you go on the internet, it is another pencil stroke to that algorithm becomes clearer and clearer representation of you. Eventually, it will begin to tell you your thoughts, and that's the goal in the book called The Shadows. Uh, The writer said, Nicholas, someone, I believe that was his uh, name, uh, said that Google's 300-year plan is to uh, be able to tell us what we are thinking before we are thinking. And you see that already in Google because when you type a couple of letters, it starts to predict what you are going to finish that word and phrase with, and that is AI. And that is that algorithmic version of ourselves on the internet. I had no idea of these things in 2008. I was ignorant, completely, innocently ignorant. But once I got over my infatuation with this new plaything, it's kind of like a story arc where I was against all of this in, in 08, and, and people began to uh, appeal to me like, like, hey, man, you need to use this for your, your ministry. No, no. And then, and then I finally went in, and then I, I went all in, and this is like great, and I may or may not have you know, put doggy nose and dog ears on me and other silly things. And so the story arc was ascending and it was wonderful and it was just a big, brave new world. Well, after a while, the story arc continued and it took a another turn as I began to study the effects of social media on me, but also on those who came to me for help. And so what I've done here and This episode, again, this is episode 451, titled Five Reasons to Curb or Get Off Social Media. And so I want to share with you just 
five observations that I have had uh, from the use of social media, either personally or those that I have been counseling, discipling, training over the past decade and a half. And they're in no particular order. The first one is false intimacy. And this is what I shared with Titus yesterday in our church meeting. People are insecure. We're cut from the Adamic cloth, and so all of us struggle with a, a sense of, of, of guilt and, and, and shame and, and fear. We're prone to worry and have anxiety. We are insecure. We struggle with fear. Man, that's who we are at our core. That's, that's a part of our Adamic constitution. And, and then we have experienced all sorts of relational distress, authoritarian fathers and, and performance-driven religious cultures. And, and so with our own Adamic shame and insecurity and then, then the things that have helped or, or that have shaped us adversely, social media gives the hurting and, and cynical soul a portal to maintain relational contact with humanity, but at arm's length. I call it a false intimacy. There is something within us that wants to be communal. We're made in the image of the community, the Trinity. And it's not good for man to be alone. We need to be living in community, uh, the one another's, etc. It's a big deal because we crave relationship. In fact, if you want to torture someone, one of the things that you could do is put them in solitary. Solitary confinement is a, a painful and powerful way to torture someone, and that's what you would do to your worst enemy. And so there's a craving for intimacy, but if our experience has been hurt and just been harmed by other people and, and gaslit and, and bullying and authoritarian context and other types of relationships that can really bring harm to one's psyche, and we're already struggling with our Adamic fallenness of, of insecurity, guilt, shame, fear... You mix all that together and you can have a hurting soul, a cynical soul who doesn't trust people. And then along comes the internet and it's like, wow, I can, I can satisfy my desire to be in community even though it is a cyber, a cyber space community. So it's intimacy, but it is a false intimacy, but people really like that. Because you can like someone and you can unfriend them if you don't like what they say. Uh, you can look into people's lives. There's a voyeuristic aspect to this. All the bad things about community can happen in cyberspace. And so you can satisfy your Adamic desires for a community. And then you can also satisfy your worst impulses for a community, whether it's pornography, voyeurism, uh, being jealous and envious of other people's lives, critiquing and gossiping about other people, criticizing them as you look into the window of their lives. And so it has this intimacy, but it's a false intimacy. And some people are really satisfied with that. And if we are, well, then we don't know what relational intimacy is. We've only had bad versions of it, so we're going to accept 
this pseudo version of it because it's not the best thing, but it's enough. And I will limp along relationally. And of course, you will always be out of sync in real world relationships because as I will talk about in a few moments, this will damage you relationally, socially, psychically, because you won't be able to have real world relationships because you have redefined and retrained yourself to what relationships are, a false relationship, a false intimacy, but yet it provides this invisible barrier that keeps me somewhat secure and so I can love at arm's length and that is okay with me. False intimacy. Another reason to consider curbing your social media use or doing away with it all altogether is the disinhibition effect. Now, the disinhibition effect, uh, that's not my phraseology. It actually came from the book uh, by Mary Aiken called uh, The Cyber Effect. And the, the subtitle is something like, what uh, the internet is doing to us or what social media is doing to us. Mary Aiken is a social psychologist and she studied the lives of people through every demographic starting at birth to two years old to four to five to 10 to 15 all the way up to old age and at each demo she uh, talked about what the internet is doing to all of those demographics as i told titus yesterday <laughs> it was a disturbing page turner meaning i couldn't stop reading it because it was so good but every page was disturbing if you would like a link to that book by the way there's one in the show notes of episode 451, and I would encourage you to, to go to the bottom of the show notes, and, and you'll see Cyber Effect, and you click on it, and it'll take you to Amazon, praise God for the internet, and you can get that book in two days at your doorstep, or just get Audible, but it is an excellent book. And so Mary Aiken talks about the disinhibition effect, and what that basically means is that uh, people are not inhibited from saying anything. Communication in cyberspace does create those invisible walls. And so the person who is okay with false intimacy and they can stay behind those invisible walls so that they can live in quasi-risk-free relationships where there's another effect of those invisible walls, tempting people to say nasty things. Their lack of inhibition removes discretion opening up the way to be unkind, popping off to strangers is a common occurrence on the internet. And you have seen it. All of us have seen it. I mean, if you want to go to a relational communicative dumpster fire, uh, just go to Twitter. And I don't recommend that. I use Twitter to, I use it for two reasons. Uh, one is to aggregate uh, news sources. And so I have a personal Twitter account, but I don't tweet anything on it. If you go to my Twitter account, I have almost a couple of thousand followers, but they're looking at nothing because I say nothing. And so I use that one just to keep up with the news because it's easy to do. And then I have another Twitter account that's for Life Over Coffee. Now, if, you, if you're in the dumpster fire, then I would encourage you to follow that one. And again, it's unidirectional. I won't talk to you on it. But you're able to get our content, and it's real handy, and it can be very redemptive. Uh, 
But the disinhibition effect is popping off to strangers. Again, a common occurrence. Now, one of the things that you will rarely see uh, in this context of, of not being inhibited from saying just about anything is that you won't see forgiveness happening. That would be exceptional. You won't hear uh, reconcili- hear about reconciliation as two combatants go after it using little to no discretion as they communicate in harsh tones, talking about uh, other people. Other image bearers, these image bearers might not be of our brand. They might not have our stripes on their shoulders. And so they're different from us. Maybe Christian may not be Christian, but we just we let people know how Christians communicate by being nasty. You'll find a lot. I, I find a lot of uh, wives, especially who don't have a social filter, because they're married to knuckleheaded husbands, and they're just, they're so frustrated that they actually go off on on all sorts of people on the internet, and, and it, they're speaking out of their pain. They're they're speaking out of their anger. And they're so they can be so snarky in their communication. I had a I, I had a woman one time where she was condemning her husband on a social media platform. That's hard to fathom. It really is uh, that that she has so little discretion and she's hurting so much that she doesn't care about Christian propriety, uh, doesn't care about proper communication, and and many times these. Women and other people do this too. I'm just using women as an illustration because it's a common occurrence. But many times that uh, they spiritualize and sanctify what they do because they have been hurt. There is this elevated moral superiority that's looking down on the person who hurt them to where it doesn't even register to them that they are sinning too, that they're communicating legit hurt, but they're doing it in a sinful way. But they have sanitized this kind of communication on the internet as though it is okay. That is a complicated situation that you have with so many hurting people that they take their victimization to such a point that they give themselves license to say virtually anything that they want to say. That is the disinhibition effect. And so five reasons to curb or to do away with social media as much as you possibly can. One is false intimacy. Two is the disinhibition effect. Number three, normalizing behavior. And what I mean by that is that parents pass their habits to their children, encouraging them to do similarly, but not just encouraging them to do similarly, they even weaponize them by giving them phones too young, too early, too soon, so that they can feed their narcissism by plastering themselves and their half-baked views all over the internet. Now, this is a befuddling thing, is that parents have no self-control, virtually no self-control, and so they post themselves all over the internet. Hi, we are over here, and we're eating this, and this is my hair, and this is my new makeup, and this is our vacation, and this look at me. I was telling Titus, I said, if you if you were to get your family and extended family together, let's say that there were 18 of you, and you just line up at the beach along the shoreline, and you take a picture of all 18 of you, or you're in the mountains, and or you're in your living room, and they're 
boom, there is the photo. And when you give that photo, uh, when everybody looks at it, who are the, who is each one of those 18 people? Who are they going to look at first? They're going to look at themselves. Were my eyes open? Were my eyes closed? Was I looking in the camera? Was I standing right? Was I tucking my belly in? They're going to look at themselves because we are, we are in love with ourselves. Well, imagine parents through their behavior teaching children that, hey, let's just plaster ourselves all over the internet so anybody and everybody can see us and the children see that what parents are doing on Facebook. And then the parents weaponize the children by giving them a phone. And now the children are imitating what the parents are doing by putting themselves and their half-baked ideas on their favorite social media platforms like Snap or TikTok. We're normalizing a behavior, and it is extremely unwise, but not just normalizing it. We're weaponizing kids because they don't have the maturity to use this weapon, which is called a phone. I I've thanked God more than once that I did not have that weapon when I was a teenager. My life was hard enough, and I complicated it enough I had to do hard things to to, uh, satisfy my sinful longings. I had to go outside of the house, for example, to get this or follow that or to do the other thing. We have parents now that, that... that model this kind of behavior to their children. They normalize it and then give them a portal and we'll pay for it. And now you have it in your home and you never have to go anywhere and you can satisfy virtually all of your longings the way that we do on the internet. Normalizing behavior is a huge problem, which leads to number four, it feeds our narcissism. Take the serial selfie as an example. It's the perfect picture that reveals a person's infatuation with themselves. Imagine going to someone's home. You go into their home and and they open their photo album and they show you 20 or 30 pictures of themselves in their latest hairstyle. That is weird. But it's not weird when you do it on the internet. And sometimes somebody will friend me and I'll I'll see like, well, who is this? And and I'll go through their profile and and there'll be like 20 facial shots of them. Many of them are all basically the same. And when I see that, my heart is just sad for them. I I mean, ignorance, well, that's in play. But it also feeds narcissism when we just put our faces out there. I mean, it is the vanity mirror. Both of those words are important, especially vanity. In our bathrooms, now what we see in the mirror, once we're all fixed up, we can put it on the internet. And then we can actually enhance it, too, and put it out there. There is something narcissistic inside of ourselves that that needs other people's approval. And then when you read uh, the the picture, what you oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, lovely. This is not good. This is one of the reasons I don't I don't I don't I don't talk to people on social media And they, no way I'm going to comment and tell somebody how beautiful they are and have that 
archive because I, I may say something privately to a person but not in a public domain because you can pretend you're the humblest person outside of Moses, but that feeds narcissism and we, we put ourselves up like that and we have to be intellectually honest with ourselves. We want that. What we don't want is someone to, is to say, well, you're ugly or you're fat or you're whatever. No, we want something else. And I will be offended if you don't say the right thing that makes me feel good by my, about myself. And I will assist you in this process because I'm going to doctor my picture and make sure uh, that uh, I can garner those likes and those appreciations that my narcissistic soul appreciates and craves. So number four, it feeds narcissism. Number five, it circumvents sanctification. And, and this may be the most deadly of all. Transformation happens in long-term memory, but the internet retrains the brain to think in spurts and it rewards these impulses with a dopamine bump for each like that we make, creating an almost unbreakable behavior. It is an addictive behavior uh, to scroll and to like and to feed and to move through rapidly. And so we're shrinking our brains to where we can only function in short-term memory when sanctification happens through thinking and praying and, and wrestling with God and reflecting and meditating and allowing a thought to sink down deep into our psyche to begin to bring that transformation, the, the whole idea of mortification in Romans 8.13 is to take the vitality out of something, take the sinful strength out of something that doesn't happen in spurts and impulses. It takes, it takes wrestling, meditation, and reflecting. In the book, Moonwalking with Einstein, Joshua uh, 4, I think. Anyway, that link is at the bottom of these show notes, too. This is a book on memory. And he talked about uh, the, the downside of Gutenberg and the printing press. Before the printing press, everybody had to memorize stuff if they were going to retain stuff because it was, it was really tedious, laborious to be able to print stuff and to archive stuff. And everybody did not have that accessibility. And so to have something, you had to learn it. Primarily, you had to learn it. And then after Gutenberg gave us the printing press, now you can print the Bible, you can print news, you can print so much. And there wasn't as much of a call to, to activate our need to memorize, which requires a lot of exertion. And he talks about mental athletes, people that train their mind to memorize and as though the brain is a, a muscle that we can condition and he makes a case for that. And then when Gutenberg came along, it, it took away some of the need uh, to use our brains that way. Well, Steve Jobs came along and and if, if Gutenberg changed things 5%, <laughs> Steve Jobs changed things 90%. 
because now we don't have to remember anything. And we have a whole lot of people uh, that are training themselves to where they can't think, can't focus. They can't spend time focusing on something. And the statistics would bear that out as well as the Internet is literally organically breaking our brains. Not, not just in the speed that we're taking on information. God did not wire us to be om- omniscient. God did not wire us to know everything, but the internet gives us access to virtually everything. And so now we are take we are taking in information that we would never take in 50 years ago because there was no way of knowing all the stuff that you could possibly know in an hour. On the internet, we were not built for omniscience. We're finite people, and we're cramming all of this information into our brains. And so not only are these impulses that's keeping us in, uh, bound in short-term memory, but it is an overflowing amount of information that is overwhelming to the soul. Five reasons to curb social media. One, false intimacy. Two, the disinhibition effect. Number three, normalizing behavior. Number four, it feeds narcissism. And then number five, it circumvents sanctification. What are some of the effects? I was talking about short-term memory. uh, or, Or what are some of the effects of social media? So I mentioned those five categories. And within them, I talked about things like short-term memory. Uh, But there's other things like soul noise. People have more amped up soul noise than they've ever had in the history of humanity. And one of the reasons for that is, is that we're cramming all this information into a finite container, our psyches. And because we know so much, and and then you got two competing narratives always, they're presenting it this way and, and the other group is presenting it that way. And so it creates this tension. And so, and then you worry about the future, well, the end of the world and climate change. And, and so all of this information is competing in one finite psyche. And, and so if you're not managed by God's stabilizing word, then it's going to have amped up soul noise. So what are the effects? Short-term memory. Sanctification happens in the long term. Soul noise. Voyeurism, I talked about. Anger. Growing dissatisfaction with life. Fear of the future. And there are more adverse side effects than just these. A reduction of intimacy between a man and a woman because of pornography use. A lack of desire to connect socially because, well, I have these false intimate relationships and they're not going to hurt me because I can unfriend them. An inability to work through conflict, the disinhibition effect. I can say whatever I want to and I don't have to go back and clean up my mess. And, of course, there can be an ignorance about the devastation of our souls while we export these things generationally. This is episode 451, Five Reasons to Curb or Get Off Social Media. I have made my case. Let me finish with a couple of thoughts. Does your Internet usage mature you as a Christian? If your Internet usage social media, technological uses, if it matures you as a Christian, how do you know? Would you be willing to make that case to a friend giving concrete examples of how it matures you and it doesn't lead you away into immaturity? Question two, 
Are there any adverse side effects from your internet use? If so, what is your plan to change? Would you make a plan to change? If you would go to episode 451, uh, you can get Mary Aiken's book, uh, Cyber Effect, hardly recommend it. And then the other gentleman's book, his name is slipping me now, but it's Moonwalking with Einstein. And so if you put that in your uh, Amazon search, well, you'll find that book and that author, and I recommend it as well. One final thing you probably know by now, I hope. Uh, if you don't know, we need to communicate more effectively, but we do have an all-online course on the fear of man, how to overcome insecurity. It is a completely all-online automated course. There's a 30-page downloadable workbook. There's 20 videos that I did. There's 20 audios. There is an LMS, a learning management system that walks you step-by-step through it. And so go to courses in our navigation bar and click on it. And you can find that course, how to, uh, it's called No More Fear, uh, how to overcome the controlling opinions, uh, unwanted opinions, opinions that manage us, opinions that control us. And I heartily recommend that course. You can take it on your laptop, your desktop, your your uh, mobile phone, uh, but you can take it all online, and I would encourage you to consider. And so go take a look at it and read what it's all about. And then if you would like to take it, please check out these show notes, episode 451, Five Reasons to Curb or Get Off Social Media. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 